come on. I got to tell you, man, I was about to run laps over there. It's hard for me to stand still during that song. He is good, isn't he? And worthy of our praise. Let's give a big hand to Ryan as he brings out all this stuff. Come on, Ryan, you the man. Hey, it's good to see you. I got to tell you, I'm kind of fired up this morning because we got one service, which means I can preach for four hours. I'm just kidding. We're only going to be here for another two. Just kidding. Listen, it's so cool. Our pastor is in Phoenix, Arizona with our football team and our chancellor, I mean, our, our president, our coach, and they're in the Fiesta Bowl for crying out loud. I mean, have you... Have you, have you been watching ESPN? Is it the coolest thing ever just to see like all this ads for these huge games and there we are right in the smack dab middle of it all, Liberty University. How cool is that? You know, you know Dr. Falwell is sitting up there in glory right now going, I told you, I told you. Man, how cool is that? Well, Pastor Matt already mentioned that, you know, we are at the end of, I don't know if you knew this, today is the last day of 2023. I hope you know that. It is New Year's Eve, and I don't know what kind of year you've had. Maybe it was your best year ever, like Matt mentioned, or it could have been your worst year ever. But I know this, um, regardless, you know, if you're limping into the finish line of 2023, kind of like the Cowboys are limping into the playoffs, or... If you're, you know, reaching the end of 2023 with all kinds of momentum, regardless, the end of the year always gives us a sense of completion, doesn't it? And with that comes the anticipation and the excitement of a new start, a fresh start, a reboot, if you will. And we will. So, as we bring this year to a close, how fitting is it that we would be here on a Sunday morning? And I'm honored, honestly, to have the privilege to share with you this final Sunday of 2023. I want to talk to you today, obviously enough, about starting over. Um, Before we open the scriptures in Jeremiah chapter 18, I uh, thought I'd just give you a few thoughts about starting over. These are just my personal thoughts, but hopefully at the age of 53, I've learned a few things about life. So let me just give you a few little practical pieces of advice when it comes to starting over, things I've learned. First of all, um, settle the past. Settle the past, no matter how long ago it was or maybe if it was just yesterday. The past is the past, it's behind you. You can't change it, so it's time to just move on. And as painful as your past may have been, your past should never control your present. God is doing a new thing every day. So jump in and let him use you today. Let me give you a second thing. Stop making excuses. Oftentimes, the biggest barrier to us succeeding in our own lives is our own excuses. And we'll say things like, well, I don't have what it takes, or I don't have enough talent, or I don't have enough skill, or I don't have enough resources. Listen, you can accomplish just about anything you set your heart and mind on doing. So if it's a skill you need, then learn it. If it's a place you need to go, then go there. If it's someone you need to meet, then pull together your contacts. I promise you, three or four people down the line, you're going to get to the person you need to meet. If it's a resource you need, then sell your vision and someone will probably come alongside and help you. Either way, you can do this, but you've got to go all in. You've got to go for it. Just remember this little quote from Rick Warren. One of these days is none of these days. One of these days is none of these days. Let me give you another thing. Set your goals. 
I'm a big goal setter. I have a little system that I use of seven different categories, spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, several, seven different categories that I use. And, and every year I sit down on New Year's Eve, this afternoon I'll be spending the day writing my goals for next year. And I take all seven of those categories and I, first of all, have a BHAG for every category. Now, this is just what I do. You can do it all kinds of different ways. There's all kinds of resources online to, to do this and help you. But this is just what I do. And I set a BHAG. Now, Dr. Falwell used to talk about BHAGs. It's, a, it's really a term that was coined by Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. But it means big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm not really sure why the word hairy is in there, but it's there. Big, hairy, audacious goals, all right? So what I do is in all seven different of my categories, I pick a big, hairy, audacious goal goal that I want to accomplish for this year. But I coined another term called LAGS, L-A-G-S. And basically what that means is little accomplishable goals. So what I do is I'll look at my BHAG, my big hairy audacious goal, and then I start working backwards and I think, okay, now what do I need to do little accomplishments along the way that will help me eventually reach that big hairy audacious goal? Those are LAGS. So that's a little word about setting goals. It has nothing to do with really what we're talking about today, but I just thought I'd give you a little piece of advice. And if you want to learn more, I did an entire podcast on this uh, last year at the end of the year uh, on my podcast. You can go there and listen to a full hour on setting your goals. Now, listen, here's the deal. You won't accomplish them all, but when you fail, you'll be failing forward, right? Let me give you another piece of advice. Surrender your heart daily. Um, You know, and, and, and if you'll do that just every single day of your life, you'll be able to sit back and watch what he does in and through you. Because without him, we can do nothing. So surrender your heart daily. And I would suggest you do it at the beginning of every day. Practice the wisdom of first. The first hour, the first moment of every day is his. The first 10% of every dollar is his. The first day of the week is his. Practice the wisdom of first and surrender your heart daily to him. And let me, let me just add one little caveat to this. Use your voice to do it. Now, this is something new that I've done. I always, you know, just in my heart, I'll surrender. But now, driving down the road and stuff, I'll actually speak out loud, verbally, these things to the Lord. And it's amazing how it sort of changes your mindset. It's kind of like the difference between coming to the altar and pray and sitting in your chair and praying. You just tend to remember these moments a little, a little better. So, a little word about surrendering your heart today. Daily. Now, several places in Scripture remind us that apart from God, we really can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus reminds us, I'm the vine and you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, it is there that that person will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. You see, it's he who gives us the very breath that we breathe. Our lives are really totally in his hands, and he has established for all of us when we will be born, when we will die, And yet, in the process of this living, he gives us tremendous latitude and freedom in that little dash between the two numbers on our gravestone, doesn't he? However, what he desires from us is that we actually just totally trust him and allow him to shape us into the person he created us to be, to follow his plan and his purpose, to do and to be who he created us to be. So as we discuss this little topic of starting over today, I want to go to the scriptures and show you a very vivid picture of what starting over looks like to God. Now, oftentimes God uses imagery in when he's talking about 
him and us. Like sometimes in scripture, he'll refer to himself as the father and us as his children. Other time he'll refer to himself as the shepherd and us his sheep, right? Sometimes he's referred to as the husband and the church, his bride. But very often, several times in scripture, he uses this metaphor of the potter and the clay. God is the potter, we are the clay. In fact, you see evidence of this very, very early in Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That word formed is the Hebrew word yeser. It means to form. But the Hebrew root word from that word yeser is yatser, which means a potter. And so the more literal translation of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 would read like this. The Lord God did the work of a potter and formed man from the dust of the ground. Isaiah chapter 64 says this, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. But perhaps the most famous and the most well-known and really my favorite analogy of the potter and the clay takes place in Jeremiah chapter 18, where God sends the prophet to the house of the potter. I'd like for you to turn there in your Bibles, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. And I want you to read it with me. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Notice he says, hear my words. He gives the opportunity for Jeremiah to go down and watch a sermon preached by a potter and he never uses a word. In other words, he's telling Jeremiah, learn how to listen with your eyes because he's about to hear a powerful sermon by merely watching what the potter does. Verse three, and then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel and it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now God is talking through a prophet Jeremiah to the house of Israel, the people of Israel. And I believe in just the same way, God is speaking to us through his word and instead of the house of Israel, it is you and me. We are the clay in the hands of the potter. Now, in this short little story, there's four key parts. And they are all seen and one is not seen. Three are seen and one is not seen. The first element we see is the potter himself. Now, the potter, of course, is the Lord. The Lord God Almighty. Notice first that he has absolute sovereignty over that clay. That clay has no choice on what it's going to become. It's the potter's house, it's his wheel, it's his clay, it's his creation, and he does with it as he wills. The clay can do nothing. And in verse four, when he discovers the clay is marred, he doesn't just throw it out, he just simply breaks it and uses it again. Aren't you thankful that we worship a God who doesn't discard us simply because we messed up. Did anybody mess up in 2023? Raise your hand if you messed up. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying, so now you can just join the rest of us right there, okay? 
So the potter has the clay in his hands and the clay has no choice over what it's going to become. It is simply putty in the hands of Almighty God. Now, the potter has a purpose. He's very singular in his purpose. His purpose is to take a worthless piece of clay and make it into a profitable vessel. The clay itself isn't worth much, but in the hands of the potter, that same worthless clay becomes a priceless piece of art, you see. The clay is of the potter's choosing. But before he chooses it, the clay has to go through an incredibly long and difficult process, actually 21 major steps to be exact. (laughs) I've studied a lot of clay and pottery this week. But aren't you thankful that he chose you? I mean, look at Psalm 40 verses one and two. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry and he also brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. So God has a purpose in all of us. And he also has a plan. It's already established in the mind of the potter what he's going to make from this clay. His plan is to transform this worthless clay into something that's of great worth. And he wants to make this clay into the vessel that it's intended to be. And even though it's just a lump of clay right now, the potter chose it, the potter already sees its potential, and he knows that this clay can become, after he works it, shapes it, and molds it, exactly what he wants it to be. God wants to do the same thing with us. Look at Psalm 139. Verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably or fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very well, the psalmist writes. See, God sees your potential because he's the potter. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see this. He sees this. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how God looks at us? Jeremiah 29, 11. You've heard this verse a thousand times. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, there's a few things I noticed about the potter this week. First of all, the potter never takes his eyes off of his creation. I would encourage you to go online, Google pottery making, and just watch a potter as he works. He never takes his eyes off of his creation. And you know what? God never takes his eyes off of you. Look at Psalm 139 again. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. And all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them even began. Psalm 121, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm and he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. Aren't you thankful that God never takes his eyes off of you? He watches you, but not only that, he never takes his mind off of you either. The potter never takes his mind off of his creation. So God never takes his eyes off of you, but God never takes his mind off of you either. Look at the same chapter, Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. And then verse 17, God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. 
If I counted them, listen, this is God's thoughts about us. The psalmist says, if I counted how many thoughts you have about me, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. That's how much God thinks of you. You never leave his eyes and you never leave his thoughts. You. So God never takes his eyes off of you. He never takes his mind off of you. But listen to this. This is my favorite. God never takes his hand off of you either. Have you ever watched a potter? Never does he take his hand off that work while that wheel is spinning. Psalm 139, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there, your hand will lead me. Your hand will hold on to me. Listen to Isaiah 41, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Folks, don't ever forget this. It is his hands that hold you, not your hands who hold him. And because you are held in his hand, John chapter 10 reminds you, nothing can take you out. My father who has given them to me, my children, Jesus is speaking in John chapter 10, is greater than all and no one, nothing, is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. You are held there. And nothing can take you out, and he will never let you go. Whew. So you can find rest today in the fact that you were held in the hands of God Almighty. So not only is the potter watching you every step of the way, not only is he thinking you constantly, day in, day out, but he is also holding you, and he will never let you go. That's the potter. That is God. The next element is the wheel. Now, the wheel... It's a very interesting thing. You, you got to watch this online because I, I, I told my wife, I really want to try this. I'm going to get me a potter's wheel. It's going to be so messy. She'll, she, she's not going to let me do it in the house. I can tell you that right now. But here's one thing I learned about making pottery. The clay must always be at the center of the wheel. Centering is one of the most important parts of the entire pottery making process. If the clay is not centered, it will wobble when that clay, when that wheel begins to spin and it will shake and it will crumble. And if it survives the shaping, it'll still be lopsided. So just because the clay is on the wheel, if it's not centered, it will move all over the place. So just because it's moving doesn't necessarily mean it's accomplishing anything, and it's going to be a good piece of pottery. Listen, folks, never confuse activity with accomplishment. The most active chicken in the barnyard is the one who just had his head cut off. He's just running around. Doesn't even know where he's at. He's just running. He makes a lot of motion, but he's not accomplishing anything. Hmm. When the clay isn't centered, there is an invisible force called this centrifugal force that will sling the clay off of the wheel. And you and I face invisible forces every day, don't we? Some visible, some invisible. Obviously, temptations and things that we deal with are very visible, and we face those temptations every day. But there's an invisible force 
called the supernatural world that's also trying to pull you off the wheel. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Don't ever forget, there's supernatural forces at work trying to push you off the wheel. So we must stay centered on the wheel. And once the clay is centered, now the potter can do a few things. You see, that wheel is spinning. And once that wheel is spinning and the clay is perfectly centered, that potter can now open up, open up the clay, which begins to open up the space for which things can be held, things can be poured. But after he opens it up, now he can lift it. And if you've ever watched a potter lift clay, it's the coolest thing ever. It just happens so quickly. He opens the space, then he lifts it. And it's this coolest thing to just watch a potter actually do this. But in the lifting process, it requires a whole lot of pressure on the outside and on the inside. Because you see, it'll look like this. He's, he's got pressure on the outside where he's holding the pottery, and then he's using pressure on the inside to shape the pottery. So the potter steadies it with his outside hand while all the work is being done on the inside with his other hand. So he's holding it, he's protecting it, he's supporting it, but from the inside out, he's shaping it. So you see the work that is taking place on the inside of the clay is reflected on the outside of the clay. He gives the pot a form and a function, but he's doing it from the inside out. And he never gives up on it. But there's a third element at play here. Not just the potter and the wheel, but the water. I told you there's three visible and one invisible. The invisible piece is the water in our lives. But it's really the key ingredient to it all. Have you ever watched a potter try to shape clay with no water? It doesn't happen. See, the water is the picture of the Word of God. It is the Word of God that keeps our hearts soft enough to shape. Paul uses this very analogy in Ephesians chapter 5 where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, a potter can work for a little while with clay on the wheel without water, but not for long. Eventually, the clay is going to begin to harden and it becomes unmoldable. And the same thing happens in our heart and spirit when we don't go to the word on a regular basis. See, the potter cannot work with clay that's dried out. But it costs the potter something, so he doesn't discard it. He has to redeem it, so he lets it dry out completely. Then he puts it on a shelf and lets it sit for a while, and then it becomes brittle. Maybe you've been sitting on the shelf in your own life with the Lord for a long time, and you've become bitter and brittle in your own spirit. But what the potter does then is he finally takes that dried-up piece of clay, takes it off the shelf, and then breaks it with a mallet. And then he puts the dry clay into a basin of water, and the water begins over time to break down that hardened clay. And over time, the potter is then able to begin molding it and shaping it once again. But the key is the water. The water is the word. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, we must get to the point in our lives where we listen to the word of God more than the word of the world. And the only way to do that is to spend time in it which is why it's so important we follow a reading plan just like we encourage you to do every year. And it's the last day of the year. You can start tomorrow all over again reading your Bible. In fact, here's how you do it. Go to TRBC 
my TRBC app or trbc.org, whatever you want to do. I would suggest you go to the app, my TRBC app, all right? Go to resources and click on the one-year plan, and you can get to the Bible in one year. We highly encourage you to do this because when you've got a whole lot of people going through the Word at the same time, it's, it's a powerful thing. You can actually feel the momentum in our church when we're doing this. So meditate on the Word every day. Let it marinate in your soul and in your mind. But stay on the wheel. Stay at the center of the wheel. When you're at the center of the wheel, guess what you'll be? In the center of his will. See what I did? And the way you stay at the center of the wheel is by constantly being fed by his word. Now there's one last element that I want to bring to mind. And it's the clay itself. Remember that verse 4, John chapter 8, I mean Jeremiah 18 verse 4 said this, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. And it seemed good to the potter to make. Now all of us are marred in some way, aren't we? Maybe your life is marred because of something that was done to you. Maybe your life is marred because of sin. We're all marred. But notice that the potter does not discard the clay and get other clay. No, he uses the same clay and simply starts all over again. You know, clay goes through a long process before it even makes it to the wheel. It's dug from the ground, oftentimes from a swamp. And there's no such thing as perfect clay. There's all kinds of different clay, but that clay is brought out of the water or the swamp and it's allowed to weather for several weeks. And after those weeks, the dry material is put into a trough and then it's covered in like seawater. And once the lumps and the hard parts have softened, they're stirred until they have it disintegrated into this slimy substance that raises to the top called slip. And then that slip is then poured into another container where all the stones and the straw is removed. And when the slip dries a little bit, it settles and finally turns into clay. The clay is then, in old ancient days, would be tread underfoot and then allowed to sit for another six months. And it's then finally pliable enough to call it clay that you can make pottery from. It's finally ready to place on the wheel. There's a long process in getting clay from the ground to this point to where you can throw it on the wheel of the potter. But oftentimes, even then, the clay doesn't cooperate in the hands of the potter. So he has to work with it and work on it. And it takes a while. It's a process called wedging. I want you, if you come up here at the end of the service, to feel this thing. You, this is really dense. There's no way I could squeeze this together. So the potter has to work and work and work on this thing. Now, did you know there's a difference between mud and clay? Pastor Terry Anderson from Lily Grove Missionary Baptist Church preaches a great message on this. And he reminded me that there is a difference between mud. And, mud is just wet dirt. Clay comes from slip and it's very intentionally made. How can you tell the difference between mud and clay? Here's the difference. Because if it's mud, when the sun hits the mud, it dries up, it stiffens up. Clay, when the sun hits the clay, it softens up. You know, there's two kinds of people that come to church every Sunday. There's mud and there's clay. And when the sun, S-O-N, begins to move in the room, if you're mud, you're going to stiffen up. You don't like this. It doesn't feel right. I'm not sure I should even be in this room. But the clay, boy, the Lord starts to move in this room. And your heart softens. And you begin to worship the Lord. And you begin to praise his holy name. 
I don't know what you are today, mud or clay, but I know this. If you're mud, God can turn you into clay. All you got to do is surrender your heart to Him. Ask Him into your life to forgive you and save you of your sins, and He will. And He'll turn you into clay. And when He turns you into clay, you become moldable and shapeable. And He changed your life from the inside out. And you go from being this to being something beautiful that only He can make. So, 1 John 1, chapter 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The potter's goal is to get the clay's platelets all moving in the same direction, the same direction that the potter wants it to go. And in order to do this, he applies pressure and then he beats it with a mallet to get the air bubbles out. And you gotta know, that in order for God to really use you, he's gonna have to go, you're gonna have to go through some stuff. And once that potter has the clay in the center of the wheel and begins to apply a little pressure, it is that pressure that eventually forms the clay. I don't know of what kind of pressure you've been under in 2023, what kind of pressure you're going to go under in 2024, but we face it all the time, whether it's stress or health issues or relational problems, whatever it might be, pressure is never fun and it's usually painful, but it's always part of the process that God brings to bring impurities to the surface and a good potter then will then remove those impurities. Is there anything in your life that focuses your attention on God more than pressure. God uses pressure in our lives to get rid of our impurities. So allow him to do it. And if pressure won't get rid of the impurity, then the potter goes the next step and crushes it. Or he may allow your life to come crashing down around you. But this is all part of the shaping process. Maybe God crushed you this year. Can I just give you a little quote from A.W. Tozer? It is doubtful that the Lord will use anybody greatly until he hurts him deeply. You can't have Resurrection Sunday without Good Friday, you know. There was an opera singer that I read about this week. She's trying out for a major part in one of these tragic operas, you know, and the operas are very dramatic. And she was trying out for this part. And it was one of those dramatic, tragic parts. And they're all listening to this young singer. And she sang the part perfectly, beautifully, absolutely stunning. Her pitch is perfect. Her presentation was flawless. And yet, the judges were watching this audition. And they're all sitting there thinking, she's perfect for the part. And yet, something in my spirit says, I don't think she's the one for the part. And they were all discussing this at the judge's table. And finally, the old judge at the end of the table, he said, well, I know what the problem is. They said, what? What's the problem? She's a flawless singer. She's perfect for the part. And he said this, I don't hear the suffering. I don't hear the suffering in her voice. Can I just tell you from a personal perspective? I sing different than I used to sing. And here's the reason. Because I've had to go through a little pressure because I've had to been crushed and broken a few times. And maybe I'm not as good as I used to be, but because of a little bit of suffering, 
My song has changed. And yours will too. You will rarely experience a victory without defeat along the way. And you will never really be purified until you go through the next step, the fire. See, once the potter has shaped his piece of pottery, and once it's all ready to go, and once he's applied all that pressure, now the next step begins, and it's even harder than the pressure, and it's the fire. He will place it in what's known as a kiln. And in order to get the clay to the point where he really can use it, he has to work out all those last impurities. One little impurity in the clay will actually prevent the clay from reaching its full potential. And when it hits the fire, it might even explode in the fire. Now, here's the problem with people that are going through the fire who are not allowing themselves to be shaped by God. Not only will that piece of pottery explode in the fire if it's not completely pure and molded correctly, but it will not just ruin itself, it'll ruin every pot around it. And we have a lot of lives like that. Your life is shattered, and in the process, you're shattering others around you. And then after the potter pulls that piece of clay and that piece of pottery out of the fire, he goes through another process called glazing. This is where he, he puts the paint and all the, the glaze on there, and that glaze is actually what covers the little porous spots that may still be remaining and keeps the piece of pottery from leaking. But then after he puts the glaze on, guess what the pottery goes through again? Another fire. And this time, the fire is hotter than the first one. The first fire is 1,800 degrees. The next fire was 2,450 degrees. Listen, folks, more than once in your life, God is going to place you in the fire. And it seems like every fire I go through is a little more intense than the last one. But it's in the fire that you discover the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego discovered, that God doesn't just send you to the fire, but that he actually walks with you in the fire. Thanks be to God. It is the fire that strengthens the clay, and it's the fire that strengthens us. Man, oh man. So now our piece of pottery has come through the fire. It's completed, and here it is sitting there for all of us to look at and admire. But you know what? Even in that last fire, sometimes pottery will still break. And at that last little step, when the pottery is shattered at that point, it's reached a point to where the potter can now no longer use it. And so in the old days, what would happen is the potter would take that shattered piece of pottery and he would throw it into what was called the potter's field. That's why it was called the potter's field, because it was full of broken, shattered pieces of pottery. But that's where this potter and our potter are different. Because God, our potter, doesn't throw broken pieces into a potter's field. Instead, our potter takes those broken pieces and puts them back together. See, the truth is we're all broken. We're all marred. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all are in desperate need of a master potter to put us back together again. So the truth is we're all just a bunch of cracked pots. But when you come to the end of who you are, you will discover that you are right at the beginning of who God is and all that he wants you to be. I can't think of a greater illustration in the world 
to give you a picture of what I'm talking about than the Japanese art of repair called kintsugi. Many of you have probably heard of this little art form, but it's amazing. I've fallen in love with this. I told my wife for my birthday next Sunday, I, I, really, I really do want a piece of kintsugi pottery. It's not cheap. Because you see, the process goes all the way back to the early 15th century when one of the Japanese generals had a piece of his precious pottery broken and he commissioned some people to figure out how to put it back together again. And when they did, they knew they had to make it more beautiful than before. And so they came up with this process. Kintsugi means, it's two words. Ken means golden. Sugi means repair. The art of golden repair. It's the art of making pottery beautiful out of its brokenness. So what the kintsugi artist will do is he'll take a broken piece of precious pottery and he will begin to figure out how to put it back together. First of all, what they do is they simply embrace the imperfection that exists and now they're gonna make this thing more beautiful. This process takes a long time and what happens is, is that no repaired vessel is ever the same. And the end result is that it's more valuable than before because here's what happens. That Kintsugi artist, what he'll do is he'll take some glue, and we're going to talk about the glue in just a second, and he'll take some gold and he'll mix that glue and that gold together, and he will glue those broken pieces back together with that gold. And then when the piece is finished, it looks like that. Golden lines and shapes all through what used to be cracks. But here's the key. The gold is applied to make it beautiful, but the real key is the glue. Because that piece is held together by glue that's mixed with, glow, with, with gold. Now the glue is what the Japanese called yurushi, which is produced from the sap of a particular indigenous tree in Japan called a lacquer tree. Now don't lose me here, listen close. That lacquer tree, but the reason this kintsugi pottery is so valuable is not just because of the gold mixed with it, but because of the yurushi sap from the lacquer tree. The reason it's so valuable is because of the tree itself. You see, when the potter goes to repair this broken piece of pottery, he has to use the sap from the lacquer tree. But that sap is like blood to the tree. So when just one cup of sap is pulled from the lacquer tree, it kills the tree. But the potter must use that sap as lacquer in order to save his broken pottery. So in essence, the tree gave its life for the salvation of the broken pottery. You see where I'm going here. So what we see is the golden beauty that comes from brokenness. But that gold is there because the tree paid the ultimate price and gave its life so that broken piece of pottery might receive a fresh start, a new life. The scars will still be there. But there are evidences of something that was broken that is now more beautiful than it ever was before and more valuable. And that, my friends, as you know, is exactly what Christ has done for us. What an incredible, beautiful picture of the cross. Because of the blood of Christ, beauty comes from our brokenness. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
So you got to remind yourself every day in 2024 that God the potter has a purpose and a plan for you, the clay. The piece of clay can't shape itself. You can't form yourself. You can't cure yourself. And you certainly can't fix yourself. But when the potter puts you onto the center of his wheel and uses the water of his word to shape you and form you from worthless, lumpy, impure, and imperfect clay... Only he can create from you something of immense worth and value. And every bit of it can only be done by the hands of the potter. Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look, I I don't know. I don't know your history. I don't know what happened this year. I don't know what your plans. I don't know what kind of starting over you need to do today as we enter into 2024. But I do know this. You cannot do it without the help of the master potter. You are simply clay in his hands. And the best way to start over for 2024 is to begin to completely surrender all that you are to the master potter. And if you'll trust the master potter to mold you, and to shape you, and to form you the way he sees fit, then you will discover his plan and his purpose has been all along to create a masterpiece, a masterpiece of you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. So here's our prayer today. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. So mold me and make me after your will. While I am waiting, yielded. And still, will you bow your heads with me this morning? I don't know where you're at today. I don't. But I know this. You need the hand of the potter on your life. We're at the last Sunday of a very hard year. And I, and, and I just want to encourage you to do something today. I, I'm, I'm going to ask my family to do the same thing. I, In a moment, we're going to begin to sing that little old hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to stand. Maybe you've never placed your life into the hand of the potter. Maybe you've never looked at it this way. And if you've never met the Lord Jesus, I want you to come and take one of our pastors by the hand and simply say this, you know what? I need to meet the potter. I'd love to meet the potter. That's all you got to say. But for the rest of you, if you're like me, you're a, you're a believer, you know the Lord and you, you walk with him. But some of you, you're inching towards the end of that wheel and about to fly off because of sin. Why don't you let the Lord break you today? Let him crush you. Yes, it's painful. It's hard. But that's the beginning of the process for him to make you into who he intends you to be. And here's what I would suggest you do. Come to the altar. Surrender all over again. And then for the rest of us, I would encourage you to take your 
wife or your husband by the hand, your children, come to this altar, surrender all the mess of 2023 at his feet, and then, man, what better way to start the year than to just lay at the altar right here and just say, hey, Lord, it's yours. It's all yours. Will you shape us for 2024? Will you form us into what you want us to be? We surrender, Lord. Make us who we're supposed to be. That's it. Maybe you need to do that. I would encourage you all to do that. I'm going to meet my family right now here at the front and do the same thing. Because we all need this. So as we begin to sing this hymn, those are the three things. If you've never met the Lord, no, don't know the potter, come take one of these pastors by the hand and say simply that I want to meet the potter. If you've walked away from the Lord, there's sin in your life, you need to get it right, come to the altar. Make it right with the Lord. Get right. And then for the rest of you, why don't you just come? Come and lay the next year at his feet. Surrender it all to him. And then we'll close. And the last service of 2023 will be over. And we'll be looking towards next year. So let's stand together. Lord, do your work as we sing. Come on. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still and have thy And try me, Master, today, whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now.
Why don't we all sing that first verse together as a benediction today? I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how much our team loves you. Our pastor loves you dearly. We love this church. We love every one of your families, all that you are. And as we move into 2024, let's ask the Lord to use our ministry, this incredible church, our incredible university, all the ministries surrounding it. Let's ask him to use it even more greatly than we ever even imagined. All right? Can we sing that last verse together? I mean, that first verse. Let's sing it together, Scott. Have thine own Happy New Year, everybody. Have a great day. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We're going to have a prayer vigil at midnight. Just kidding. But hey, listen, God bless you guys. Have a great day. Well, Happy New Year, and we want to thank you for joining with us here on this New Year's Eve. Now, obviously, today you heard the message of the gospel. And if you trusted Christ today as your Lord and Savior, we would love to connect with you and help you begin this brand new journey with Christ in your life. I encourage you to reach out to us at our website or give us a call, and we would love to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus in this new year. It's a great opportunity, a great time for you to make a decision, to make the determination of how you're going to make an impact in the world. And one way you can do that is to partner with us here at Thomas Road. If you'd like to help us and contribute financially to the work that we do all around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go to our website and help us reach others with that life-changing message. God bless you and have a great new year.